Great. Uh, I've got one today because this last Monday, wasn't it last Monday we, have, we were off? Yeah. Uh, so Todd Porter took me jet skiing, which was a blast, but I have been walking sideways the rest of this week. <laughs> My back has been killing me until this morning. Like, I, this, is a, this is about as straight as I've stood in the past week. I don't really regret it. It's been painful, but I don't really regret it. It was a lot of fun. So I'm glad that I can stand up here and not be thinking about pain while I'm supposed to be bringing the word to you today. All right, so I'm going to pray for us. Um, right after that, we, we didn't do our normal dismissal for the nursery kids, so they'll go. If anybody else is going to go, we'll go at that time, because then we'll jump right into the service, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we have so many blessings to talk about today. God, we thank you that you're a part of our lives today, God. We thank you that um, there was narrow misses with hurricanes, and, and we pray for those who um, were hit by the hurricanes. We thank you that uh, so there were physical blessings this week. There's lots of physical ailments in this church, God, and we thank you whenever we can see everybody here. And we pray especially for Keith as he's not here and he's trying to recover from this surgery, God. We pray that you would bring him back to us soon. We thank you and we praise you for the work that happened this, in this church this week, God, um, as the cold has come on fairly quickly that the heat's turned on and that we're able to sit here in, in warmth today, God. We even thank you for this old building, even though it has all of its issues, God. We, we thank you that we can meet here. We thank you that... Um, those who went before us uh, helped to prepare this place for it, God. I pray that we would be good stewards of it, and I pray that uh, it would continue to be open and a blessing to Interlaken. I, I thank you, God, for your unexpected mercies, like a knock on the door with some money. And um, I think many of us have, have had that happen, and it means a lot to us. Unexpected blessings like that, God, it is so uh, evident that you're working and we thank you for that. We thank you for that um, promise that you'll take care of us, even when we don't know what's coming, like a septic line, God, that, uh, that you'll help us to get through. And God, I pray now that as we go into the sermon, God, that your word would be true, spoken, <laughs> truly spoken, God. I, I pray that um, nothing about this vessel would get in the way, God, that there are people here who need you, there's people here that need your spirit to stir them up, God. I pray that that would happen no matter what. God, I pray that people would leave here wanting more today, wanting more from a Christian life, wanting to be closer to you. I, got, I thank you that we have a hope. The only reason we're sitting here today is because there's hope. No other reason to come. God, I thank you for that hope. I thank you for the salvation that you have given to us freely and God, I pray that as we continue to walk this broken planet, that uh, we would have a refreshed hope today that lasts us through the week. God, I thank you that uh, Jesse is back to us safely. I pray for these next couple weeks as we do business here and, and he gets uh, sent off from his previous church, God, I pray that it would be a momentous occasion, that it would be the start of something amazing as he starts his career here as pastor. And we thank you for all that he's done already for us, and, and I pray that um, you'd bless him and bless his family this week. In your name, amen.
Okay. You ready, Alvin? Okay. All right. So my message today, and I got to get my verse out here. My message today um, came as I was reading John 16, 33. And I was reading this uh, because I had a cousin that died recently who's only a few years older than me. And it was something that her uh, sister had posted as part of how she was dealing with it, I guess. And John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I will overcome the world. And so that's a nice verse. We've all heard it. I think everybody here has heard it. And so frequently this world steals that, or we allow this world to steal that, to steal our peace, to steal our joy. And even though we know in our heart that that is true, that God has overcome, um, sometimes it feels like we're, there's no meaning in life. Still, as a Christian, we still have moments where it feels like, why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What's the point? Why can't I get any better? Why can't I, why can't I just do these things that I've always wanted to do? So Christians don't get a pass from living in the fallen world, and they don't get a pass from living with the sin in their own life. So if we're supposed to be focused on Jesus and the fact that he's overcome the world, what does that really look like? I, I, I think I could spend the rest of the sermon telling you what it doesn't look like, because that's how I've lived good portions of my life. Not how it looked like. Not very productive for the kingdom. We learned in Bible studies this week um, that um, when sin entered the world, it was destructive on all levels. When you think about what happened when sin entered the world and what the world was like before that, it, just, it was death on all levels. So it was death between us and God. It was death between us and ourselves. It was death between us and each other, us and our neighbor. And it was death between us and the physical planet. So everything is working against you a little bit because sin is in the world. You've got sin within you. Your neighbors are going to likely treat you poorly. The world can treat you poorly. And you've got this now this disconnect between you and God that didn't exist before. All of those things, even after you're a Christian, you have to deal with some aspect of those. You still have the old self, even if, you haven't, even if you're throwing it off. So what do we do? Um, often we just wait to see what will happen and hope that we have a response. You know, we know, a little, we know enough about God that hopefully we'll have a response when something happens, when something bad happens. Um, but is there a better way? As Christians, we know that Christ overcame death. We know that he, he's conquered it. His grace is greater than our sin. He has made promises to us. There's power in prayer. We have the Holy Spirit in us. He's our Father. He takes good care of us. We listen to the blessings this morning of all the things that he's doing for his people. And yet, we find we aren't making much progress in our, in our own life, at least up to the standard we have. We get restless. We get distracted. We wait to come to Sunday and be made to hopefully feel guilty enough that you go through another week trying to act like a good person. I tell you, that's not what Sunday morning is about. 
You genuinely want something more, but you don't necessarily know how to get there. You've tried a million things. Asking God to do something in you, but not knowing how to harness any power, because it seems like everything you've tried has failed. So in many cases, we know what is right, right? Most of the time, you have a pretty good sense of what the right thing is to do, and yet we still can't do it. And yet there's still something that gets in the way. To illustrate this, I'm going to ask you some questions. And you do not answer out loud, okay? But I'm going to ask you these questions, and I want you to just honestly answer them for yourself. All right? And this is not to... This is not going to be meant to depress you. This is not going to be meant to crush you. This is not going to be meant to necessarily convict you too much. But I I just want you to get an assessment of who am I as a Christian right now? And these questions come out of the Bible, so let's, let's just ask them. Number one, do you see God's blessings in your life every week? Do you see answers to your prayers? Do you make real progress at overcoming bad habits? Do you find it easy to have a good assessment of yourself? Never thinking too highly, but knowing that God has given you gifts. Not being made ineffective by negative thoughts about yourself, and not being made ugly because of pride. But using your gifts with spirit-led determination so that you do everything as if Jesus were in the room with you. Number three, do you find it difficult to control your thought life? When something bad happens, is your joy lost? How about your faith? Do you find it easy to identify what you can learn when hardship is happening? Do you find it easy to love others sincerely, a love that comes honestly? Do you pray for others so much that there isn't room in your mind for hate for them, and there's no room in your mouth for gossip about them? Are you able to separate yourself from your old life? Those things that you know Jesus wouldn't do and Jesus wouldn't say and Jesus wouldn't look at. Things that make you look more like the world and less like Christ. Are you able to forgive or do you look for vengeance? Is there a peace all around you because you're there? Or do you tend to leave people in conversations feeling distressed or hurt? How much does... How much does it take to get you angry or frustrated? Are you patient? Are you a joy to be around? Can others count on you? Are you lifting others up? Does a kind word come easier to you than a negative one? Do you struggle with envy or lust? Are you generous? Does hospitality come easy to you? Are your relationships growing with your friends and your family and those around you. And finally, are there people being drawn to Jesus because of the light that you shine? Do you know how to share the gospel with others? Anyone find that list a little frustrating or or maybe convicting? It's a tough list. Each of us is able to identify with most or all of those questions. Why is that? Well, partly... It's because there are some moral absolutes, right? There is truth. But partly because you are Christians and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you and it's letting you know all the time, these are the things 
These are the things you should do. Not the face you should put out there. You know about your own hearts. I've seen many of these good things in, in all of you, and yet you would probably tell me, my heart might not have been in at that time, or my, my heart might not have been in at that time. You know your heart better than I do. But we can identify with these things. Your response to those questions actually makes up most of who you are. We cover just about everything. It makes up your integrity. It makes up your testimony. You have stories about how you've seen successes or failures in all those areas. You may have had some come-to-Jesus moments. Anybody had some come-to-Jesus moments? Where you're really going to get it together this time? Man, I'm going to get it together this time. I'm so tired of doing it the old way. And I'm going to put checklists throughout my house, and I'm going to put verses everywhere on my mirror and everything. Not that any of those things are bad, but out of what strength are you doing that? Out of whose power are you doing that? Because I think you all know the other answer to that is when you did it out of your own, do you still look at those verses? Are they still on the refrigerator? Do they still have any meaning for you? So you may have seen, all of you I'm sure have seen some change which is good. I've seen changes in many of you. So some change will stick. Some change has stuck. And I'm, what I'm going to go through today is probably why that stuck and, and whose power you were using to make that stuck. So we've seen change happen, but then there's sort of the and, and yet. Somehow life beats you down again. You say, how am I back here again? I've gone through this same thing 10 times. How do I still not have the faith to get through what What's happening right now? How am I still doing this? Some of the good things have stuck, but you can still lose your joy. You go to God again when you need something or when something bad is happening. And he gets you through. But that consistent growth and maturing may be at a standstill. And the world's overcoming you. This broken world, all those deaths that I talked about between you and your neighbor, you and your friends, you and God, sometimes they overcome us. If someone asked you today how you were doing, is your story about all the negative things in your life, all the bad things that have happened? Or is your story about how great God has been over the last few weeks and what he's overcome for you in your life? So I asked you those questions not to make you feel guilty and find new ways and do more checklists and all of that, but to show you that you can't change on your own, that I can't change on my own. You by yourself cannot make these changes in a world filled with sin, in a life filled with sin. I wanted to bring you to a place to make a decision. A decision that will take faith, but will unleash power in your life. Power to overcome your past and send you into the future a new person that is constantly transforming and looking more like Christ. So to do that, we're going to look at a couple of scripture references we're going to, I'm going to tell you a story that is similar to a parable. Then we're going to read the parable, which is much better than my story. And then we're going to look at some biblical examples of this. And then we're going to hope, well, we'll get you out of here right on time. So, um, John said he has a story about Dick. I'm telling a story about Dick today. So, he's going to get hit twice. I'm okay with it. Okay. This is a story about Dick Ross. It may be fictional, it may not. Dick loves working on a tractor. That part's true. In the spring and summer, you find him planting and harvesting on his own property and helping others on their property. 
This story occurs on a hot summer day, and Dick is cutting hay on a farm where he rents several fields. This farm is very large for our area and was recently reclaimed by the bank as the previous owner had died and there was no one to leave it to. Dick knows that the bank wants several hundred thousand for the property, and so he is glad to just rent some fields. At noon, Dick plans to eat lunch in the field because he's way out there. So he stops near a large hedgerow that separates two fields from each other on the property so that he can eat in the shade. It's the first time he's really noticed this hedge and how old the trees are on it. It looks as if every farmer for the last 150 years have avoided trying to expand the field into this hedge and has laid mainly undisturbed. As he approaches it, he notices why. There's a depression in the earth surrounded by large boulders and it's sort of sandy ground. The, the, the ground is different from the field around it. One thing you may not know about Dick is that he's a self-taught geologist. I don't know if he knows that about himself. He loves identifying rock formations, and this one has made him curious. As he sits on one of the rocks, staring down into the depression, he becomes more and more convinced that something is off and decides to explore a bit more. He makes his way down into the depression, and he thinks someone must use this spot as a dumping ground for uh, diesel fuel, because the further he gets in, the, the stronger the smell of oil. When he makes it to the bottom, he spots a large crack between two rocks. In the crack is not spent oil where someone had dumped it, but oil bubbling out of the ground. Now, Dick can't believe his eyes. Could there really be oil underneath this ground in upstate New York? And it's gone unnoticed and untapped. So Dick quickly finishes the field, and his mind is racing. He decides he must investigate more. He seeks out the history of the property and finds that one of his owners over 100 years ago wrote, in their diary, that they were convinced that there was oil below the property and they were unable to convince any investors. So based on what Dick knows, he believes there's oil there as well. He also believes that if he sold his house and all of his beloved John Deere tractors, everyone, he could come up with the cash to purchase the property from the bank. If you were Dick, what would you do? Would you risk your comfort and all your prized possessions for the promise of something exponentially greater? A, dis a decision like this is life-changing. Now, Dick has some inside knowledge about that property, but he would need to have great faith in what he believes to sell everything and talk Darla into doing it as well. Would you do it? Now, Jesus tells a similar story, and you can turn to Matthew 13. Everybody turn to Matthew 13. Now, in Jesus' story, the thing that, that is at risk or to be gained is far greater than the millions of dollars worth of oil that Dick isn't telling us about. It is being part of the kingdom of God. Not after you die, but right now on that broken planet, this broken planet that I described to you. The power that comes with a strong faith to live a meaningful and transforming life in Jesus Christ. Go all the way down to verse 44, please. And I'm going to read just 44 through 46. 
I encourage everybody to read all of Matthew 13. There's a lot about what the kingdom is, but we're just going to read this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all he had and bought it. This is an extremely short and effective picture um, to tell the same story. It took me a page and a half to tell. Jesus told it in three verses and told it twice. He goes on to talk more about the kingdom of God and, and it being like uh, nets being filled with fish and the fishermen that have to separate the good from the bad. But for today's, we just have enough time to deal with the parable in 44. And when Jesus says something twice, I don't know um, what you think about when you read the Bible, but if Jesus says something and then repeats it again, first of all, the first time was important, the second time means it was very important, all right? So if he says it twice, make sure you stop. Make sure you know what it really means. So what is the kingdom of heaven in verse 44? What is he talking about? What is he gaining? If it's like finding treasure in a field which could have happened in those days. There weren't really great banks. They would bury something on the property, and if they died, no one would know about it. You could find something on a field and have to buy that field and then become rich because of it. So he's using something they would understand, but what is he talking about? What is it that can be gained at the cost of all the things that you think are so important, the things of this world that we hold on to? So the kingdom of heaven here is way more than a destination spot, right? It's way more than just the greatest place that you've ever known, which it is. It is the greatest place. But so many Christians get stuck in the, at least I'm going to heaven way of thinking, right? At least I'm going to heaven. I may not be as great as Billy Graham. I may not be, and I may not have any of these things right in my life, but at least I'm going to heaven. I'm glad you're going to heaven. But my thesis today is you're missing out on a whole bunch if you just get stuck in, at least I'm going to heaven. Or that will all happen after I die. So you're missing out. What you're missing out on is a relationship and the supernatural way in which God deals with you while you're still on this earth. And it's part of eternity. It's a little blip, but it's the most important blip. It's the most important blip. There are crowns to be had. There is a relationship to God to be had, and he is looking for you to do something on this earth. It isn't just be saved and go to heaven. The kingdom of heaven is what it is because of the presence of the Father, because of who's there. It isn't just the greatest spot ever, it's because of who's there. And you are now part of that kingdom of heaven. If you're a Christian, if you have, if you have salvation, you're part of the kingdom of heaven now. It didn't just, something began when you were saved, right? And what began was a personal relationship that now goes from now until it just goes on for eternity, right? You're in a little different scenario because you're still on this earth, but it's, it's still a relationship. It's still a powerful relationship. I'm gonna, uh, this quote has stuck with me, and I don't know if it'll mean anything to anybody else, but I'm going to read it. It's by George MacDonald, and he says, Man finds it hard to get what he wants because he does not want the best. God finds it hard to give because he would give the best and man will not take it. 
often have you seen that? You ask for all the wrong things. And when, he, and when you actually see the answer come, so much better than what you asked for. You wanted to, kind of, to try to control the situation, and I know, God, that I need this job, and I know that it has to start this date, and otherwise I won't be able to make my mortgage. And he blows all that out of the water when you start to pray faithfully and say, God, I just, I just need you to step into this situation. And he blows you away. It's way better than you, what you thought it was. Maybe you had to wait a little longer, but it's way better. The rest of the verses um, there go on to talk about this guy actually joyfully going and selling everything he owns because he knows of that promise. He had truth like Dick did, right? There's truth. It matters that there's truth. If you don't have truth, if you don't believe, all of this is meaningless. Dick had truth that he was pretty sure he knew there would be oil there. This guy had truth. He knew that there was something there. You all have truth because the Bible can lay in your laps and you can read it all day long, and he's made promises to you. There's truth, and it matters. And it matters because that's what you have to have faith in. The truth of the promises of the Bible, the promise that if you give up something so tiny in the grand scheme of things, that his blessings will overwhelm you. When you make a decision to be all in, Christ is your shepherd. I'm going to read you what that sounds like. We went through Psalm 23. I'm just going to read you what it's like when Christ is your shepherd. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows, leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That doesn't sound like a bad way to live to me. It doesn't sound like I need to hold on to anything, to not have that, to not be able to fully see what God would do if he was in control of my life. If you hold on to the things of this world, can God still answer your prayers? He can, and he does. But likely it's in crisis. Likely you came to him when something was really rough, rather than going to him to praise him for what he's already done. Can he teach you? He will, but just like the sheep, he's going to be trying to nudge you back to the way, back to the good life, back to this is what's important. <clears throat> So if you aren't all in, you will daily be going back and forth between what God wants and what you want. It's a split life that I, I can attest is miserable. It's miserable, and it can harden your heart. It can harden your heart. So when I asked all those questions first, and most of them would, were meant to identify something in your life, either good or, or not, um, you can have a hard heart about something that you've just given up trying to fix. And when you're going back and forth like this all the time, I give up. I, I'm just going to accept that part of my life. I'm not going to get past that part of my life. And your heart can become very hard. You can become miserable with yourself. Because if you're not hard, you're looking at what you're doing all the time, and you're like, I can't, I, I'm driving myself crazy. You can become miserable. You can have you bitter and defeated. You'll just be treading water. 
rather than swimming so beautifully that other people want to jump in and swim with you. So I want to give you a biblical example of why this is true. If none of you have seen in your life that being all in and saying, God, I obey you, means that he will blow you away with the blessings he's going to give, I'm going to show you a biblical example of that, all right? Turn to Genesis. Everybody turn to Genesis 12. And Genesis 12 is the calling of Abram, soon to be Abraham. And in the midst of this call, he's going to make promises to Abraham. And the promises we're going to read, okay? So I'm just going to read um, 12, 1 through 3. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. All right, so Abram is called, and God has promised him to be the father of a great nation. Most of us know the story of, of Abram. He's, he and his wife are too old for children, still don't have children. So over the next few, verse, the next few chapters, God's going to take him through having a son. His wife and he have a lot to learn about God. They're actually going to mature quite a bit over those next few chapters. God shows him the land. Um, he and his nephew Lot have some adventures. And he gets to see a very uh, clear picture of who God is in a lot of different ways. God intervenes in several ways. And he gets to start to see who God is. And now his faith is building. And we're going to skip ahead to Genesis 22 so you can turn there. And he's about to be tested. So God's given him promises, fulfilled some promises already, but he's going to see, all right, Abram, are you all in with me today? Because this mighty nation that he was promised includes just three now. All right, Genesis 22, and I'm going to read you the story of Abraham and Isaac. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I go, while I and the boy go over. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out with his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, 
Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And before we get to the blessing, the promise now, pause. Think about what just happened. Is there any scenario in which you're more all in than being asked to slay your own child? Have three days to think about it. It took them three days to get there. How many of you would have lasted three days thinking, I'm going to a mountain with my son? Now, Abraham, we're told later in the New Testament, had faith and even believed that if he killed his son, that God would bring him back from the dead. But Abraham was all in. This is, this is as all in as you get. I hope none of you have to do this with any of your kids ever or any situation like this, but this is all in. This is what the picture looks like. And God had made those promises to Abraham just a few chapters ago. And they were, uh, they were great. They were a little general, a little broad. And God is now going to make promises to Abraham again after he just showed him that he was all in. Let's see what it's, we're going to pick up in verse 15. Let's see what he says. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is amazing. God didn't bless Abraham because of a checklist. Didn't bless him because of the sins don't commit it. Didn't bless him because he doesn't swear, lust, drink. In fact, Abraham had messed up. God stepped in and said, all right, Abraham, I see you're all in. Now I'm going to expand that promise. Think about the sand on the seashore. That's how many, that's how many descendants you're going to have. The stars in the sky. If for the rest of time, nations that bless you will be blessed, nations that curse you will be cursed. Think about that in the world stage. For the rest of the time, everybody who's either blessed God's people or cursed God's people have either met blessing or demise. That has shaped all of human history. That shaped all of human history. That's amazing, this promise. And he says, I'm going to make that promise bigger and bigger. And you say, well, that sounds good for Abraham. God does not talk to me directly through angels, at least not recently. Maybe you know some people who are all in. They're not making it look so good. Those people who say they're all in, right? They're pretty holier-than-thou people, right? I am all in. I am bought in. I am totally bought in. And you don't even want to be around those people. This isn't, that's not the kind of bought in I'm talking about. We think of it negatively. We think of sacrifice, and we think of what we would have to give up, and that this is all about making yourself miserable, selling everything you have, having no more fun, not being able to experience anything in this world. I need you to hear today 
That's the world talking. That is the prince of the power of the air who currently has some sway here on earth training your minds. He's been training this world on how to train our minds that if it sounds so difficult to give anything up to God. Even when we do and see what he'll do, we go right back to, I got to hold on. I, I can't possibly sell that. I know that that missionary needs to go out. I can't possibly give them another $100. I, I won't be able to do whatever. Like God can't come up with $100 for you, right? We still have that world way of thinking. And I want you to think about it that way. I want you to think every time you think that way, Satan trained you to think that way. He likes that you think that way. He's pleased that you think that way. He's glad your church has you in it because you think that way, right? Don't let him win. Serving him and serving God can sometimes almost look like the same thing. He likes that. He wants it to seem like the same thing. You have to give up. You have to give up your ideas. You have to give up your money. You have to give up your time. You have to give up your energy and not be afraid to do so because you have faith that God is going to do something way better with your time, energy, money than what you've been doing on your own. When you go through trouble, he'll grant you wisdom and joy. When you have to make hard decisions, you'll find yourself making good ones. You'll find yourself being okay with the decisions. You'll have more meaning and purpose in your life than you have ever experienced before. Satan wants you to think, if I do that, there is no meaning. Life is a drudgery. The truth is you'll have more meaning and more purpose in your life than you've ever experienced. So all those questions, all those questions from the beginning of this message, um, those are all things that you know in your heart are right, but may not previously have had power to do so, do anything about. But there is one more part to this, and this is how I'm going to close. Those of you who are married probably know this pretty well. If you want a good marriage and you want to have a good attitude every day in your marriage, should you wait until the other person does something nice to you? Possibly you will wait till next week and you will not have had a good day's worth of marriage. Right? You might have to wait a month. If you wait, what will you likely do? You won't do anything nice to them. They won't do anything nice to you, and you will lose a week of marriage. Uh, you have to pre-decide. It's a pre-decision. It's not a, after I get all the information, I'm going to make a really smart decision because I'm so really smart. You have to pre-decide every morning, that person's more important than I am. I want them to be happy. All the stuff that goes into a good marriage, you have pre-decided. And then you start to act. You do not wait, you just start to act. And God uses the marriage example very uh, keenly in also our relationship with him. So the same is true about being in a relationship with God. It's not about waiting to see what he'll ask you to do or what he'll ask you to give up or where he's going to send you and then saying, all right, I'm going to make a really good decision at that point. It's pre-deciding. I've already decided, doesn't matter where he sends me, doesn't matter what check I have to write, doesn't matter where I need to spend my time, doesn't matter who he puts in front of me, whether they smell bad or, or are doing drugs or whatever. If God has something for me today, pre-decided, just going to do it. it. means you've been praying, you know what his will might be, 
means you're looking for times when you might be able to interact with other people, but you predecided. Does anybody see the difference there? There's a huge difference between waiting for him to say, I think you should be a missionary and go to Guatemala, to that night when the missionaries come and you feel a calling and you've already predecided, and he says, I think you should go to Guatemala. You don't think anymore. You just start to raise money to go to Guatemala. You don't waste any time. When God told me to do it, I did it. So we're going to take this from we're going to take this from one more chapter. Turn to Romans 12. Many of you have gone through Romans 12 with me. You know that Romans 12 for me is my life chapter. Every time I preach to you guys, it's always about Christian living because that's what I feel motivated about. Romans 12 is Christian life. This is what Christian life looks like. And a lot of the questions that I asked you at the beginning come from Romans 12, because that's where they've told you what to do. And you have some of those things in your mind, and you know you're supposed to do them. So after 11 chapters of Romans, of Paul telling us all the great things God has done, how he saved you, what state you were in before, that God's your father, all those things, he pauses and he says, "Um, here's a chapter on how to respond. I just told you all that greatness about God. Let me give you a snapshot of what that looks like. How do I respond to God? He says in this chapter, use our gifts. First of all, you have to know what your gifts are, but use your gifts. Don't be proud. Forgive others. Love your enemies, which seems completely impossible. Love sincerely. Be patient. Don't get angry with others, etc., etc. Those were Those came back to the questions I asked you. But he doesn't just start with, here's your checklist of the things to do. This is how he starts the chapter. Before he gives you a list of things to do, he tells you, this is where the power is going to come from. This is where the strength is going to come from. So you live this beautiful Christian life that he's going to go on to describe. So we're going to just read one verse, Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your your true and proper worship. You know, when we went through Romans 12, anybody who didn't get this part or wasn't getting this part, we always had to come back to. You know why? The power to do all those other things without first becoming a living, daily sacrifice doesn't work out. Till you're all in, till you're fully committed, till I'm saying to God every single day, I'm going to do everything you tell me to do. I'm not able to do some of the things that he, we all know we have to. So what's the difference here between a dead and a living sacrifice? We just talked about Abraham and a dead sacrifice, right? They, they sacrificed the ram. What do you think the difference is? Is that ram coming back to do that again? No, he's not. He says to present your body a living sacrifice. That doesn't mean you're physically killing yourself, sacrificing yourself over and over again. A living sacrifice. You are renewing this as often as it takes. To say no matter what God would give you to do or give up, you're all in and you want to see what he has in store for you. When you do that, the side effects are that Christian life. All those things that you've tried to create checklists for that you failed at, that I've failed at a hundred times, 
because I've tried to do it under my own strength and power, all those things start to just happen. Because I've told God every single day, he's in charge of my life. He's in charge of every moment. I'm looking to see what he has to do. Loving others comes pretty naturally from that. Forgiving others comes pretty naturally from that. If I'm doing this every day, where do you think I'm going to try to find out what kind of decisions I should make? I'm going to God. I'm going to his word. I'm going to prayer. I know what he wants me to do because I've investigated what he wants me to do. That's where the strength and power come from, his word, the Holy Spirit, and prayer. But you have to be all in for that. You have to be all in. So my question is, are you ready to be all in today? and tomorrow, and every day for the rest of your life. Whether something bad happens, whether someone gets cancer, whether you're frustrated, are you ready? Are you all in every single day? Does a decision to show God you fully trust him still sound only for martyrs and and super scary? I hope not. I hope that giving up stuff doesn't sound that difficult. It's just stuff. Abraham was going to give up his son. Most of you won't have to do that. I challenge you to go all in and find out what maybe you've been missing lately by holding on to the cheap stuff of this world. And it means making this decision every day. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be in God's word. He's going to lead my life. He's going to be, the, he's going to be where my eyes are fixed so that when all the bad things happen at work to me this week, my eyes are fixed there. I still respond to all those people as if I can love them. And that they're not, I'm just not living in the world with them, in the sin, in the awful. I'm just going to fix my eyes on him, and, not, and then he'll show me how I should treat them, how I should respond. So I challenge you to be all in. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this would be a church that's all in. God, I pray that as a group of people all in, we would change this community for you, God. We would, show love other, we would show love to others that doesn't make any sense. People who, are, who have treated us poorly, God, will be treated with kindness and love by us because that's what you would have us do. God, it's, I pray that if there's barriers in anybody's life and in my life, God, I pray that you would take them away. If their hearts are stone, if my heart is stone about one of these issues, God, I pray that you would melt it this week. Help me to feel again. Help me to have hope again. Help me to want to see your face and be able to say, God, it's been a good life with you. It's been so exciting with you to see what would happen. All those bad things that I thought were bad, God, it was amazing to see your hand in everything. God, I pray that as sin gets in our way this week, we'd find something, God, you would put something in our heart that we can't forget about, that we're all in this week. We're not going to respond the same old way. We're not going to do the same old things. We're not going to feel the same old feelings, God. We're going to have faith that you love us enough. You have a good plan. God, I thank you for this group. I thank you for these people. I thank you for the examples of this that I've already seen in this church, God. I pray that you would fire us up again. Bless these people in your name. Amen.